The reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verse 50, to the end of chapter 24, starting at page 748 in the Bibles in the Pews. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they, dis- as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he, as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Good evening. If you are slightly tempted to close uh, your Bibles, reopen them. That's what we'll be looking at. Yeah, even those who read it were tempted to. 
thanks so much for reading uh, so helpfully. Uh, let me again welcome you. It's a great privilege, isn't it, today that we can meet and we can delight in God's goodness to us and we can have him speak to us as we had his word read. Uh, why don't we pray now that God would continue to speak to us. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for uh, his willingness to pour out his life up to death, for his willingness to bear the sins of many. And we thank you that because of his faithfulness, he saw the light of life and was satisfied. And Father, we pray that uh, now as we look at your word, we would uh, see Jesus more clearly and share something of his satisfaction. Uh, We would delight in who he is and what he has done for us. And we would live as people uh, who long to obey him and make him known. Uh, Father, reshape us to be faithful followers of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. How will you celebrate Easter? Seems a strange question at this point of day. You think the celebration's over, aren't they? Well, no, there's still the rest of tonight. There's still tomorrow. More than that, it's not just this one. Easter will come back next year. And the year after, how are you going to celebrate Easter? Oh, we realise for lots of people it's the, the simple pleasure of a few extra days off work. It's, it's shoving in as much chocolate as uh, people are willing to give you. Uh, it's celebrating with family. But we, we know there is so much more to it. And I suspect the key for us in celebrating it well is remembering how victory feels. Now, what's it like to bask in the afterglow of conquest? Now, for some of you here, you'll find that easy to recall. You've got got this long list and you just have to pick one of the many triumphs you've had. You know, the the successes at work, the awards in study, victories on the sporting field. Uh, But for some of us here, um, that's a little harder. You know, my my recalling of uh, an under-14s indoor cricket trophy just really isn't a victory worth savouring. It's not much of a conquest. And so, just so we can grasp a little of what victory feels like, we're going to watch a clip, a clip that captures the joy of conquest. It's from uh, August 1945, it's from our city, Uh, and as you look at it, don't be distracted, I want you to look for the emotions, what victory feels like. Watch that. The years of blood and tears had ended in resounding victory. Australia joined her allies in an outburst of rejoicing, the like of which her cities had never seen before. The pent-up emotion of six years poured out as a flood. Freedom was really theirs. This day of victory meant loved ones would now be safe. Families once again reunited to enjoy the things for which their men and women had fought. So let's go mad for one unforgettable day. Everybody's yelling and cheering and, hey, old chap, it's over. Tear up some paper, it's the thing to do. Telephone books, old posters, income tax forms, torn up and tossed around. They're ripping the piece to pieces. Those in their early teens know little else than the atmosphere of war, but they're getting the new idea all right. As one sardine said to another, how'd you like to be people? So Australia's day of rejoicing goes on. 
At night, lights of every kind illuminate the scenes of revelry. It's none of my business, but that's a heck of a place for a bike. King's Cross, a well-known forward operational area. Daylight finds 500,000 packing the city to see the victory march, to honor those who fought and worked for all that victory means. That's how victory feels. You know, I know it's easy to be distracted. You see a clip like that and you kind of go, funny haircuts, the suits are a bit different. Uh, you, you look at the city and, you know, you realise some buildings have changed and, and they're not what I expect and... And you get a little put off by that kind of canned voiceover uh, and his awful jokes. But, you know, that is victory, isn't it? And that's what it feels like, delighting in victory, to bask in the conquest of enemies. They're not forced scenes. They're not contrived scenes. It was just a natural response to and the joy that flows from experiencing victory. Now, how are you going to celebrate Easter this year, years to come? I hope by remembering how conquest feels. Yeah, that's how the disciples did it at the end of chapter 24, at the end of our reading. Have a look at verse 52. They worshipped him, that is Jesus. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. See, we set aside this day each year for that reason, to celebrate and rejoice to bask in the joy of Christ's conquest. Now Luke wrote his whole book to give an orderly account of uh, the events that had occurred so that his readers, whoever might read it, would have certainty. And this final chapter is carefully crafted along those lines. It's ordered so you can have certainty about Jesus. Uh, It's a really Jewish style of emphasis that he's got going on here. He gives us three episodes uh, to direct home the same point. And he orders these three episodes in such a way with a sense of urgency, you know, crammed in, all happening in this big action-packed day. Um, episode one, uh, we kind of broke it up as we had it read. Episode one centered on the, the women uh, at Jesus' empty tomb, verse 1 to 12. Uh, then there's this huge change of scene. Uh, second episode, uh, that, that we see this pair on a, a road trip uh, to Emmaus who have the privilege of dining with Jesus. And then the third episode, verse 36 and on, Jesus there eating with his scared disciples. Luke orders this account in such a way for us to grasp two very clear points, two truths that will help us to kind of recount, recapture, to feel the victory, to to celebrate this Easter Sunday. First, that Jesus has risen and he has conquered our enemy death. And secondly, that Jesus has risen and conquered our great enemy of unbelief. Uh, Let's look at the first one. Uh, Jesus has risen and conquered our enemy death. Of course, we've got to realise Jesus really was dead. Uh, The cross was real. The the death really took hold of him. Uh, At the end of chapter 23, Joseph uh, goes to collect the body of Jesus and the corpse is handed over with Pilate's permission. That is, the authorities, the professional executioners, they confirm he really, really is dead. Uh, And then... Uh, His friends wrap up uh, his body in in a shroud and spices. That is, these grieving followers recognise he really is dead. And he's put in this fresh tomb and it's watched by the women in verse 55. That is, he's really dead 
and there's going to be no mix-up of term, no mistake. Jesus really, really is dead. Until we get to chapter 24 and Luke says, no, no, Jesus really, really is alive. Uh, the first episode, the women arrive at the tomb. In verse 3, when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And in case that wasn't enough, angelic messengers, just like those who uh, arrived when he was born to make a great announcement, they reappear. You know, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Or that earlier clip we saw had the little phrase, the living one, a, a helpful way of putting it. Why are you looking for the living one among the dead? And then they remind them Jesus made a promise. He'd rise on the third day. Jesus really is alive. Same message in the second episode, but a little more powerfully because this time Jesus personally appears. So there's these two grieving followers uh, of Jesus. They're heading back home to Emmaus. Verse 15, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. And he walks with them. And in verse 26, in in fairly firm way, he calls them fools for not realising it. He explains again the necessity of Christ's suffering before glory. Uh, They persuade him, let's have a meal together. He stays around long enough. Their eyes are open. They realise who he is and then he disappears from sight. Um, So they scurry back to Jerusalem. And what do they hear when they get there? In verse 34, everyone's talking about that, you know, the Lord has risen. Jesus really is alive. So the, the women have been told they saw the empty tomb but not him. Uh, the two Emmaus were told and had the benefit of seeing as well. Uh, and the third episode goes one step further. Um, they're told again. Jesus opens the scriptures up and explains it. They see him with their eyes in verse 39, but even more they get to touch. They get to feel his flesh. Uh, he eats in front of them. It's not that he's kind of starving and it been a busy day. No, no, he wanted to show, he's not a ghost, he's really there. Suddenly death has lost its certainty. And Luke wants us to be clear about that today. Jesus is alive. Yes, he was dead, but death couldn't hold him. Isn't that great news? It's fantastic news. You know, the power of death is now broken. As a culture, we're we're obsessed with trying to cheat death. You know, we, we idolise youth. Um, just turn on the TV, look at any ads, and you'll see young, beautiful people you know, poncing around. You know, and if they're not young, uh, they're pumped with Botox so that they at least look vaguely young and not too old. You know, and, and, and as a culture, we, we shield ourselves from death. We try and hide from it. So when people are very aged and very unwell, they leave the home and they go to a hospital where we don't see them anymore. You know, we want to cheat death. Uh, at one extreme, you've got uh, uh, the Cryonics Institute of Australia, uh, whose motto is, life is good, death is bad, be nice. Uh, they offer, you know, for cash, they will freeze your corpse, and uh, in the course of time, uh, when you know, whatever it was that killed you has been overcome, they'll unfreeze you, bring you back to life. I wouldn't be signing up, but... You can see what they want. You know, even, even the more conservative ends of you know, scientific and medical research are doing the same thing, aren't they? Uh, Caleb E. Finch, uh, a professor of gerontology at the University of Southern California, um, he set out, uh, made it his goal in research to, to identify the genes, the mechanisms of ageing and age-related diseases. He thought, nail the gene, fix that up, we won't age, at least not so rapidly. 
Now, he published his findings in a book, The Biology of Human Longevity. I don't really understand his theory, uh, but I do get his point. He has a confidence that, that humans can un- increase their lifespan as we go into the future. But he does give us a, a general warning at the end, you know, that, that we've got to do this together. Uh, to quote him, Despite the current advantages of the health-rich elite, the global systems of commerce, water and wind prevent isolation of any group to the growing pools of infections and inflammagens. Consider this, when you next dine in an elegant restaurant, you are but one handshake from staff who cannot afford to miss work because of illness. That is, if you want to live a little bit longer, you know, get the genetic causes worked out, you need everyone on board because otherwise some germy person is going to ruin it for you. And you can't help thinking, great, it makes life longer, but death's still there. Yes, it is true we are getting better at staving death off, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, Children are born earlier and earlier, and thanks to modern medicine, they survive, kept alive. But it's all mere band-aids. And not that a desire doesn't make sense. It's completely sensible. Cheating death is really rational, normal, sensible, right. Death is our enemy. You know, death kills the relationships that we value the most. It doesn't matter the age of the person who dies, it's always too early. You know, the Cryonic Institute, their, their motto is right, life is good, death is bad. You know, God made us and when he made us, Ecclesiastes tells us, he, he set eternity in our hearts, a longing to go beyond death, to keep going. You know, even when a, a loved one um, who is elderly and suffering passes away, you know, yes, we're thankful that they're free of suffering, but their death doesn't bring us joy. You know, it's just that we can't bear to see them suffer anymore, the, the, the accompanying effects of death like disease and pain. We still miss them and that they're taken from us. You know, it's right to be obsessed with treating death. We just have to look in the right place. What do we remember today? We remember today that Jesus is alive. Death has been conquered. Fantastic news. Christ once for all crushes our great enemy. And for anyone who is connected to him by faith, anyone who puts their trust in him, share his benefits. Jesus said in the face of uh, his own friend Lazarus' death, he said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. In 1 Corinthians 15, we get to read how Jesus is not just the only one, he's the first of many, the first fruits of more who will cheat death this way. Everyone who trusts in him, in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, they are given his victory. To quote that verse, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. We share his conquest. He lives and that transforms our lives. It transforms us first because the resurrection, the victory of Jesus, his life actually gives value to this life. You know, Buddhists uh, believe in reincarnation, uh, that, that when you die, come back, have another go, keep coming back, keep going back, keep coming back, this cycle going on until you reach perfection or the goal of nirvana. Uh, essentially, uh, nirvana is nothingness. It's, it's escape from all this world uh, and the sufferings of this world. It's a tragic goal. You know, not only is it not true, it, it actually denies 
the value of all the good things God has made in the world. It says that, that all the physical things here are actually an evil distraction. That's why the original Buddha, the guy I taught it, actually went off and abandoned his family. You know, it's a lonely and depressing prospect. Uh, the, the same is true of secular uh, humanists. They, they want to say, you know, once you die, you go to the worms, that's it. It, it. it undercuts the value of this life. But Jesus, his resurrection affirms the value. He redeems creation. Did you notice how when he comes back and appears to his disciples, he has taken on another flesh and bone body, a fleshy body. You know, he demonstrates it by eating the fish, being touched. But what he's doing is he's saying, this world matters. It matters enough to redeem it, to make this creation go on. It says your life matters. You know, heaven is not um, floating spirits wafting around in mists looking for you know, the right harp notes to play. You know, it is the goodness of this creation with all the evils taken out, gathered together in the perfect company with God himself. And so this world matters, this life matters. You know, Jesus lives and it, and it also means, secondly, that it gives us hope in the face of death. I don't know how many uh, funerals you've had the opportunity to attend, but there is a massive difference between the funeral of a Christian and the funeral of one who is uncertain about their trust in Christ. You know, one has confidence and hope and there's even this kind of strange note of joy at funerals like that where it's, it's not actually just an end, it's the beginning. Uh, but the other uh, is just kind of cast in shadows of doubt and fear, grief. Uh, Derek was a World War II veteran. Um, he'd enjoyed 50 years of great marriage to Daphne uh, in the week before his death. Uh, he shared communion in a special service with uh, his wife and the minister who preached at his funeral. Uh, asked how he felt about dying, he replied, I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. It's not an isolated story and I have another in a very similar situation. Asked a very similar question. Uh, his answer, to tell you the truth, I'm a little bit excited. Just a little bit excited. Now, summing up that movement from Christ's death to his rising, someone put it, God weeps with us on Good Friday so that one day we will laugh with him. Now, we have hope in the face of death because Jesus lives. It transforms this life. It transforms uh, the prospects of the future. And those benefits are for all who believe. So if you tonight have given up everything to follow him, because that's what Jesus calls people to do. They say, he says, give it all up. That's the only way you can follow him. Take up your cross, go after him. If you've done that, you haven't lost the world. You have gained your eternal soul. Because Jesus lives. And all who trust in him benefit from that and his victory. And which brings us to the other point Luke wants us to get. Jesus has risen and conquered that great enemy of unbelief. Did you notice that, that throughout the account as it was read, uh, despite everything that had been predicted about Jesus, no one expected that Jesus would rise? So in, in all three episodes, it, it's unbelief. Uh, the women went to the tomb in verse 1, taking spices to continue that embalming process. You know, they were expecting a still very dead corpse of Jesus to be there. Uh, they tell the disciples, uh, and in verse 11, they think it's complete nonsense. Uh, in verse 12, Peter goes and checks it out himself 
And he goes away a little confused, not certain at all, wondering what had happened. Cleopas and his mate speak in verse 21 about how disappointed they are. You know, they thought he was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. And they're confused about the women's report. Now, surely if they, if they thought that Jesus was actually alive, they, they wouldn't have even been leaving Jerusalem. Uh, because when they eventually believe, what do they do? They race back in verse 33. Now, and even when Jesus appears to his disciples, there in the flesh, verse 41, have a look at verse 41. It's remarkable. They still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Yet the event has occurred. The facts are there. Jesus really has risen, but unbelief remains. Belief, when we're talking belief, we're talking faith. Uh, We're just saying simply uh, it's about reasonable trust. We're not talking magical, mystical stuff. It's not believing stuff that's untrue. No, it's just reasonable trust. And and everyone is a person of faith. You You here tonight, people on the streets, we're all people of faith. That is, we're exercising reasonable trust all the time. Every time you sit on a chair without, you know, kind of going and checking the quality of the wood and, you know, measuring the ground, and you know, you are just exercising reasonable trust. You're, you're exercising faith. And the big error we fall into when we talk about faith and belief and trust is that we think that we make decisions as purely on the facts, that we are cold, rational beings that only ever do things that are completely sensible. When the reality is, um, our beliefs are biased, our trust, our faith, it's based on moral decisions, not just the facts. C.S. Lewis put it this way, it's always assumed that the difficulties of faith are intellectual difficulties, that a man who has once accepted a certain proposition will automatically go on believing it till real grounds for disbelief occur. Nothing could be more superficial How many of the freshmen who come up from Oxford from religious homes and lose their Christianity in the first year have been honestly argued out of it? And that's true, isn't it? You know, of the the handful of people in the last year or so that I've witnessed walk away from Jesus, it hasn't been because they were argued away from the facts. Now, the facts haven't really entered into it, to be honest. Their faith, their trust has changed... um, for all I can think of, over two reasons, the, the choice of their partner uh, and their career. You know, we could pile up the historical evidence. There's loads of it, um, unrelenting amounts of it, that it, Jesus really did rise. It's overwhelming. Uh, historians go along with it. There's a, uh, an interesting guy, a guy called Pincus Lapide. Um, he decided to check it out. <laughs> it's a top name, isn't it? I didn't make it up. Um, his name's Pincus Lapide. He's a, uh, a Jew, a Pharisee. Um, a modern one, uh, and because he was a Pharisee, he believed in resurrection, so he had to ask the question, well, if I believe in resurrection, why don't I think Jesus could have risen? And so he decided he would check it out. And he came to the conclusion that, historically speaking, all the evidence says, yes, Jesus really, really did rise, and yet he would not become a Christian because he would not leave his culture behind. Now, belief is reasonable trust, but we are naive if we think that that decision we make coolly and calmly. And it's why unbelief is our great enemy, because unbelief is the root cause of death. You know, that decision to not trust God, the giver of life, to not trust his ways, but rather choose our own, that's the heart of sin. It's what separates us from all the benefits of knowing God, you know, like eternal life. 
You know, unbelief is that heart of sin. It's what caused death to enter the world in the first place. Unbelief is an enemy of ours. It brings death. It separates us from the victory Christ has won. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that you know, unbelievers are our enemy. I'm not saying, you know, go and pick a fight with an atheist. Not saying that at all. You know, our own unbelief, your unbelief, prevents us from enjoying all the benefits of being connected to Jesus. Yet we have no share in that victory. We face death alone. And we face the second death alone. But just in the way that he conquers death, he conquers the enemy of unbelief. And he does it by his word. So in verse 6, the women are reminded of the words of Christ. His word makes sense of the facts of the resurrection. It makes trust possible. And that's what they remember in verse 8. Yeah, and, that, and that's the power of God's word generally. Uh, when Christ walks to Emmaus, what does he do? He points out how foolish they are because they should have known because the scriptures had already made it clear. Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And what was surely one of the most exciting Bible studies ever as he opened it up. You know, his word, the word of God again, verse 44, they are the power to conquer unbelief. Yeah, and ultimately, it's that word with the spirit applying it. I don't know if you notice, there's this kind of strange way of talking about belief in this chapter to do with opening your eyes or, more importantly, having your eyes opened. And we normally think of um, eye opening as something that's fairly natural, fairly intuitive. Um, when I wake up in the morning, I don't call out for help for somebody to prize my eyelids open. I just open my eyes. And yet here, it's something done to us. In verse 16, they were kept from recognising him until you skip to verse 31, their eyes were open. They didn't open their eyes, their eyes were open. Unbelief is overcome. You know, it doesn't happen apart from the Bible's words. You know, verse 45, the disciples, this time minds, the disciples' minds are open so they can understand the scriptures. You know, belief, reasonable trust, but unbelief, it's skewing it, isn't it? And yet, Hearts that are skewed, hearts that are set on doing things their own way can be overcome and conquered. You know, by his word, by, by the Bible, by the Spirit, Jesus conquers our enemy of unbelief. That's why um, we aren't people who need to get worried about the death of Christianity. You know, there's a rising popular swell of atheism. There was a conference there in Melbourne a, a week or so ago. Uh, it's been said before that religion would be buried hasn't, won't, Christ can conquer that. But more personally, if you are here tonight and you are struggling with trust, if you are struggling in belief, if you are struggling to entrust everything to the Lord Jesus, know that he can overcome it. If you're struggling in your trust, yes, delve into the facts, check out the resurrection. That's what Peter did that first Easter morning. Uh, you know, search, reread the scriptures because they make sense of all the facts. But most of all, go to him and ask for the one who gives generously. Ask for the one who has the power to overcome unbelief, the one who has the power to take his victory over death and apply it to your life so you get the benefits. Yeah, because we are all biased to unbelief. In fact, there is no one who would trust without the conquest in our own hearts. You know, there's great comfort in C.S. Lewis again in, in his own coming to Christ. He put it this way. 
You must picture me all alone in that room at Magdalen. Uh, that's his college and university. Uh, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in. I admitted that God was God and I knelt and I prayed. Perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. There's the conquest of Christ, isn't it? He is risen, he is alive, he has beaten death and your unbelief can be overcome. And so you can taste the victory. How are you going to celebrate Easter? Yeah, it needs to be celebrated, doesn't it? You know, we, we need to remember what victory feels like and delight in it. Yeah, we worship Christ today. We, we leave with joy today because we bask in his conquests. And we remain like those disciples, continually praising God. For Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his great victory that death could not hold him and that our unbelief can be overcome. Our Father, help us today to be people who recall that victory and delight in it. Fill us with joy. Help us to worship and praise Christ as is appropriate and reshape our lives that we would live as people who have a future and a hope that death cannot destroy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.